Matthew chapter 18, verses 21 to 35 is what we're going to be looking at. If you want to go ahead and go there, um, we're going to be looking at a passage called the unforgiving servant or the unmerciful servant. But before Jake reads that, I want to tell you guys um, about a conversation I had with my brother this past week. Anybody have siblings, a brother, a sister? Okay. Looks like most of us. Okay. Um, You never fought, right? Never. Okay. Okay. So I... I only had one brother, but he is only four minutes older than me. So that means, yes, we are twins, and we're both competitive. So that resulted sometimes in some tension, okay? Uh, By some standards, we didn't fight a lot. By by some standards, we did fight a lot. We had about one good fight a week. Um, For how much time we spent together, it was complete, like, I like to say this way, it's super cheesy. Jake likes this kind of humor. We were roommates, and then we were college roommates, okay? We were like... A lot of time together, okay? And so it did result in some tension sometimes. At this point, at this stage in life, you know, all that's like 30 years ago for me growing up with my brother, 30-plus years ago. And last week, he looks at me, we're talking, and he says, you know, most of the time I did escalate things. And I was like, that's so true. Yeah. (laughs) You, like, you should tell our parents. I mean, like, it's all, it was always like, I mean, he's pretty even-tempered, and I had more of a temper, but we would be, like, boxing or sparring or, like, goofing around for fun or just playing basketball, and then he would start just, like, ramming me, just, like, take it to another level, and then I would get ticked and shove him, and he'd be like, what's, what's going on? And I'm like, well, you just, like, took it to another level. So last week, finally, like 30 years later, Josh says, I always kind of like provoked you. I always took it to another level. But here's what I did, okay? So um, I would kind of keep a tally of what Josh did. <laughs> so he, he would take shots at me, and sometimes I'd be like, and you're like, you're not going to get me back? And I was like, no, nah, I'll just remember it. <laughs> and then, like two weeks later, he'd do something. It would trigger me. And then I would pummel him, and then I wouldn't stop, and I'd keep going. He's like, whoa, 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 that's enough. I'm like, no, this is two weeks' worth. <laughs> okay? Okay, so I say that to tell us, I've got to set up the passage for Jake. This is kind of what the Apostle Peter does. He comes, and he comes to Jesus, and he asks him about forgiveness, as you're going to see. And he says, how many times do I forgive somebody? It's customary, like, like in business or in just common relationships, without Jesus being in the picture, You forgive somebody three times. Any more than that, and you're getting taken advantage of, right? So Peter is like a superstar, and he comes along, and he's like, how many times should I forgive my brother? Like, seven times? I got a lot of character. Seven times. Okay, let's look at, uh, look at, uh, or listen to Jake as he brings this passage to us. Thank you very much. Appreciate it. It means everything. Um, all right, here we go. All right, then Peter came to Jesus and asked, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother when he sins against me? Up to seven times? And Jesus answered, I tell you not seven times, but 77 times. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. And as he began the, the, the settlement, a man who owed him 10,000 talents was brought to him. Since he was not able to pay, The master ordered that he, his wife, and his children, and all that he had be sold to repay the debt. The servant fell on his knees before him. Be patient with me, 
he begged. I will pay back everything. And the servant's master took pity on him. And he canceled the debt and he let him go. But when the servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. And he grabbed him and began to choke him. Pay back what you owe me, he demanded. And his fellow servant fell at his knees and begged him, be patient with me and I'll pay you back. But he refused. Instead, he went off and had the man thrown into prison until he could pay the debt. And when the other servants saw what had happened, they were greatly distressed and went and told their master everything that had happened. Then the master called the servant in. You wicked servant, he said. I canceled all that debt of yours because you begged me to. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? And in anger, his master turned him over to the jailers to be tortured until he should pay back all that he owed. And this is how your heavenly father, this is how my heavenly father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother from your heart. Thank you, Jake. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for this word. It's, it finishes with a stern word. It also has an incredible message that's very encouraging. I pray you'd help us to get all of it. Holy Spirit, we invite you through your word to speak to us tonight. In the name of Jesus, amen. There's the king and his debtor, and there's things that happen between them. There's the forgiven debtor and his debtor, and things that happen between them, right? And the forgiven debtor, unforgiven because of his unforgiveness. Okay, so do you guys know the Lord's Prayer? If I start this, I want to see if you can finish it. Forgive us our trespasses as forgive those who trespass against us. So that's what this passage is about tonight, okay? And in this passage, you could say this, we are the forgiven servant, but may we not be like him in his unforgiveness of his neighbor. Yeah. 10,000 talents. Anybody have a clue how much debt that is? Okay. The talent is like the, the largest denomination you had back then. The, den, like the, the denarii is the smaller denomination, okay, like the smallest denomination. So you got a whole bunch of the largest and a little of the smallest, okay? But still, 10,000 talents, that doesn't really mean a whole lot to us. We're like, oh, I guess that's a lot of money. I'll try and break it down as best I can. 10,000 talents is 175,000 years of annual wages, Mm-hmm. That's a lot of money. Okay, that's right. 175,000 years of annual wages. So think about this for a moment. This dude wasn't a good man. Like, could you guys possibly rack up that much debt? I mean, you don't just, like, mess with the books a little bit. I mean, Another way, and people would argue this, but there's different numbers, but it's, this is roughly like eight to nine billion dollars. So as a servant, I mean, how, how crooked can you be to get that much money flowing your way or be indebted that much to your king, okay? So this guy is, there's something really off here. Now he's got this debtor of his that he goes out to, a hundred denarii. That's like a one day's worth of wage for a common man, okay? So 100 days is about four months of wages, four months, compared to how long? 175,000 years. That's ridiculous. So what we have in 175,000 years, first off, is insurmountable, immeasurable debt. Jesus is just actually throwing a a vast number out there that makes everybody in his crowd and, and the disciples and everybody go, 
oh, if that's me, there's no way out of this. This is immeasurable debt that I could never, ever repay. I just have to have a gracious king that cancels my debt. And that's what happens in this story, right? Okay, um, for some reason when I've been talking to different people, different ones of you guys, when I say 175,000 years of annual wages versus four months, people go, hmm. But four months wages to us still sounds like a lot of money, right? Doesn't it? I mean, that would help you guys out right now, right? Okay. So the ratio, if you just take the ratio, it's like two million. If say say the nine or eight to nine billion is, is two million that he owes, then the guy that owes him owes him three dollars. Wow. So he's forgiven two million, and he goes out and grabs him by the throat and like puts him against the wall and says, "You're going to jail for three bucks." Okay? Is there like doesn't really match up? You've been forgiven two million dollars. Can't you like let three dollars slide? Right? Okay, it's nothing in comparison. Alexander McLaren, he's one of my favorite old British preachers, no longer with us. He's one of the, as we call the ODGs, the old dead guys. Um, He said this, It is but as a penny against a talent, for the worst that any of us can do to another is nothing compared with what many of us have been doing all of our lives to God. Okay, this statement carries a lot of weight. In a crowd this size, some of you guys have had unthinkable things done to you. So I don't say this flippantly, but I still believe it to be true. Let me read it again. It is but as a penny against a talent, for the worst that any of us can do to another is nothing compared with what many of us have been doing all our lives to God. Holy Spirit, would you shed light on that so we can understand it? What a fellow human does to us will never match what we have done to God. We readily do this. You may not like this, but I'm going to say it. Lord, help us to receive it. We readily, we readily do to others what the unforgiving servant did. We do. We do. So wait, before you call him a scoundrel and a low-down bum, we actually go out and do what he did. We, we grab the person that owes us $3, and we nail him to the wall and let him have it when we've been forgiven so much. Okay. Um, anybody from Trinity High School here? There's no Trinity Tigers in here. Or you don't want to raise your hand. <laughs> okay. Okay, so last week, my daughter had a volleyball tournament. She's in seventh grade, had a junior high volleyball tournament at Trinity High School. Um, we start rolling into town, and Kimberly, my, my beautiful wife, wonderful, always a great attitude, never very cynical or, or jaded or anything. We start rolling into Trinity, and she's like, if we spend the whole day here, where are we going to eat for lunch? Trinity doesn't have Trinity does not have anything good around here. It's just okay. I mean, I know Trinity is not like the highest caliber of towns, okay? But we roll into Trinity, and she just starts dissing Trinity, just like, like kicking it, basically. She's like, I mean, where are we going to eat? They have nothing. I was like, well, there's a McDonald's. I mean, there's a Subway, and I mean, we, we can get something. She's like, this place, and I'm kind of looking at her like, Kimberly. Then we pull into the parking lot, and she's like, Trinity Tigers, look at the orange. <laughs> I mean, I mean, UT has like a burnt orange, Sam Houston has like an orange orange, but what is that? What kind of orange is that? And I'm just kind of scratching my head, and I look back, my nephew's with us, Hudson, he's, he's 12, I look at Hudson, I'm like, Hudson, he's in the backseat, are you, are you listening to this? And he's like, yeah, and he chuckles, and I said, I think you're thinking what I'm thinking, like, Kimberly 
is from Shepherd, Texas, which is not exactly, if you don't know Shepherd, the classiest of small East Texas towns, okay? <laughs> I mean, good things come from Shepherd, Texas. Kimberly, I married Kimberly. But, I mean, I, I look at Hudson, I'm like, I mean, Shepherd, he's like, and we're driving through Trinity, and he goes, I, I think Trinity's got more going for it than Shepherd does. Aunt, Aunt Kimmy. And so, <laughs> so then, I looked at Kimberly, and I said, you know, I'm, I'm studying this, this parable, and I, I think I know what's going on here. It takes one to know one. And she was like, what? I'm like, you're from Shepherd. I'm, I'm, I'm like, I'm indifferent to Trinity, okay? I'm like, you know, it's a little town, you know? She's from Shepherd. She actually played against Trinity in high school basketball. That's probably part of it, okay? But I'm like, it takes one to know one. She's dissing. She's knocking Trinity. Um, I'm using Kimberly for a couple examples today. The point, it takes one to know one. Okay, so this last week, Kimberly's teaching fifth grade at Alpha Omega Christian Academy, first year for her to teach in a long time. And have you guys ever done this? You have a test, but it doesn't get graded by your teacher. It gets passed to one of your classmates. You know what happens when they do this? This is pretty consistent. Your peers will often grade you harder than your teacher. Yeah, and you will grade your peers harder than your teacher. So Miss Kimberly gives out the test, takes the test, and then she gives it out to the fellow classmates to grade it. And she said, when she's like looking at she's like, what's, what's wrong on this page? There's a lot of writing. I don't see what's wrong. And they're like dotted eyes. They were all getting each other for missing the dot over the eyes. Okay, that was multiple offenses on that, okay? Another kid, she looked at the paper, and she's like, um, there's a mark here. What's, what's wrong? And the kid said, uh, they made their T come down and swing out too far. <laughs> I mean, look at most guys' handwriting. It's like the whole thing should just be like, right? Okay, but hey, so we're just the same. We just do it in different ways. We're just the same. You guys know the story of King David and Bathsheba. Okay, if you don't, after King David stole another man's wife, Bathsheba, and committed adultery with her, what happened? King David stole another man's wife, I'm not giving you all the details, committed adultery with her, then this guy, Nathan, a prophet, comes to David, and he tells him this story, and he's doing this to confront him, but he knows how to approach people. We should learn from this. He comes to David, and he tells him a story of a rich man blessed with many sheep and cattle. Here's how the story goes. When a traveler came to town, instead of taking one of his own sheep to prepare for a meal, the rich man went to a poor man and took his one and only sheep, a sheep that slept in his arms and drank from his cup and was like a daughter to him, it says. And the rich man took that one sheep. He had many sheep. He took that one sheep, kept it to himself. No, took it to himself and killed it for a meal for this traveler that comes through town. How does King David respond to this? He jumps up and said, the man who did this deserves to die. The man who did this deserves to die. And Nathan steps back and says, and you are that man. It takes one to know one. It takes one to know one, right? 
In our parable, the servant is judged not because of immeasurable debt that's forgiven, but because of his unforgiveness of his debtor. Did you catch that? He had immeasurable debt. That could, you know, in the, in the parable, it actually says, please forgive me, I'll repay it. No, you're not. No. <laughs> he can't repay that. There's only one way out. The king has to be gracious and forgiving and merciful, right? And he is forgiven in the end of the passage. He's not forgiven. He's forgiven eight to nine billion, but he's not forgiven unforgiveness towards his neighbor. And it's the same for us. Francis Schaeffer has an incredible analogy that sheds light on the moral judgments that we make. We make moral judgments all the time. It's really funny, really ironic in a culture where by and large, truth is relative to us in our culture. We determine truth by what we want to be true, okay? And we say, as a culture, there are no moral absolutes. I don't believe that. I'm a Christian. I believe the Bible is inspired word of God. As a culture, we have embraced that. We believe that. We live by that. But we still constantly are making moral judgments everywhere. We can't escape it. <laughs> it's pretty ironic. Okay, Francis Schaeffer gives this incredible analogy that sheds light on the moral judgments that we all make, okay? He's going to talk about a tape recorder. You guys know what a tape recorder is? Okay. He's talking about something that records voices, okay? You'll get it, but he says this. What if every little baby that was born anywhere in the world had a tape recorder hung around its neck? Like a Walkman, you know? And if this tape recorder only recorded the moral judgments with which this child, as he grew, bound other men. You got that? I'm going to read one more time make sure we got it. Is that all right? What if every little baby that was ever born anywhere in the world had a tape recorder hung about its neck? And if this tape recorder only recorded the moral judgments with which this child, as he grew, bound other men? Eventually, each comes to that great moment when he stands before God as judge. Did you hear that? Eventually, each person comes to that great moment. Is that a great moment? It's a significant moment. When he stands before God as judge. Suppose then that God simply touched the tape recorder button and each man heard played out in his own words all those statements by which he had bound other men in moral judgment. Then, and I got some more beyond what's on the, on the wall there. Then God would simply say to the man, Now where do you stand in the light of your own moral judgments? Oh, shoot. He finishes, A man is judged and found wanting on the same basis which he has tried to bind others. And the truth is, we wouldn't withstand our own judgments that we are passing all the time. Especially right now in our media-driven culture, um, we are very ready to share our opinions, right? Which are often judgments. You know what I'm talking about. So um, you can like this, you can dislike this, you can, and, and in my, like, when I was in your, your age, your category, we didn't have the same kind of platforms, but right now you can, you can put in, if you want to buy a product, you can go read all about it, right? People can give it thumbs up, thumbs down, write comments about it. And that could be good if, you're, if you want to be like an informed buyer. But across all the issues, across everything we face in life, you and I get to weigh in. We get to put our opinion out there. 
Sometimes it makes us think our opinion matters more than it does. Hmm. Maybe I'm meddling a little bit. Um, but what it does is when we share our opinions, what we often, often are doing is we are also passing judgments. Sometimes we think passing judgment is a bad thing. The Bible encourages passing of judgment. We must look at things, process things, and decide whether they're good or bad. Okay? We must make judgments. But we can't make judgments against people for the very things we have been forgiven. Right? See the difference? Okay. But, like, even, even this week, if I can just explain some of this, I hear different things from different sides of the deal in politics. Like one friend of mine wrote this week, shame, her daughter just got COVID. Shame on you, Governor Abbott. If you had handled vaccinations better, my daughter wouldn't be sick. Shame on you, Abbott. I'm not trying to make a statement with that. I'm just sharing with you what I read. Then, then another statement I read and hear is, this is in regards to Joe Biden. He will stand before God for how he handled Afghanistan. I laugh when I hear that one because <laughs> I'm like, that's true. And so we, we will all stand before God <laughs> for how we handle everything, right? But do you see how we are very quick to make these judgments against others, right? Hmm. The funny thing is that when we do that, we actually take a moral high ground. And we make ourselves feel righteous, but what is happening is we're actually unrighteous. We are, we are not extending grace and forgiveness that has been extended to us. But if we've encountered God and seen our own sin, we actually shut up. And we become silent. If you encounter God and he shines a light in your heart, you stop pointing fingers. You won't notice anything else. This is Romans 3.19. This is what I'm talking about. Now we know that whatever the law says, and the law is the light <laughs> that shines on the darkness. Now we know that whatever the law says, it says to those who are under the law, so that every mouth may be silenced and the whole world held accountable to God. There's a lot of doctrine in that one verse. And we could go really deep, and we're not going to go there. I'm just saying when you encounter God and he shows you your own heart, you will become silent, and you'll stop pointing your finger at other people. Um, many years ago, I was on a mission trip in the Netherlands, and I met this guy named Goose. I don't know what his real name was, but he went by the nickname Goose. And this was, on a, this was in northern, uh, the north part of Holland, the Netherlands, a town called Groningen, a university town. This guy was like a college-age guy. Um, I was actually handing out um, these invitations, some, some tracts and flyers and invitations to a, like a, a service that we were putting together that night. And so this guy takes one, and when he takes one, he spins around and just smiles at me and chuckles. And I'm like, I just addressed the moment. I said, what's that about? And he goes, you just gave a Christian tract to an atheist. <laughs> I was like, okay, let's talk. <laughs> then he was kind of surprised by that. Um, and I asked him, I said, why are you an atheist? And I think he was just kind of intrigued that I was willing to talk to him. And he said, why am I an atheist? And we were standing in, in the town square. And he just goes like this. And I was like, what does that mean? <laughs> and he goes, look at this place. It's a mess. That's why I don't believe in God. This place is a mess. 
Since that time, I've replayed that conversation over and over, and I wished I could go back and give this reply. You want to know what reply, what reply I want to give him? I think it'd be so fun to go back to that moment and say to Goose, if he says, look at this place, for me to say, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I've made a lot of selfish decisions that have added to the mess. I could, I could validly say that. And if you're honest, so could you. Look at an atheist, and if they say, "What's you see how messed up this place is, say, yeah, I'm sorry. I've added a lot to it. I've made countless selfish decisions that benefited nobody but myself and ultimately didn't even benefit me. G.K. Chesterton has one of my favorite quotes of all time. He got it so right, guys. He asked, he was in, asked this question, what's wrong with the world? Some of you know the answer. Don't let it out yet. What's wrong with the world? G.K. Chesterton gave this very simple response. I am. Yours truly, G.K. Chesterton. Dear sir, what's wrong with the world today? I am. When you've been forgiven, when we've been forgiven, we understand this and we stop pointing fingers. And we start recognizing that we are a part of the problem. Rather than speaking of what others have done, we move to amazement that we've been forgiven and we're ready to forgive others. You catch that? If you've seen your own sin, you stop pointing fingers and you move to amazement that you've been forgiven for what you've done and you're ready to forgive others. Okay, God's forgiveness is shown not because it's earned or deserved, but that in forgiving us, he might actually create his spirit of forgiveness in us. Hmm. God's forgiveness is shown not because it's earned or deserved, but that in forgiving us, he might actually create his spirit of forgiveness in us. In other words, that we might become like him and go out and perpetuate what he's done for us over and over again. So, to close, how did David respond to Nathan's charge? Pretty direct charge. You are that man. Initially, it says that David was what? When he heard the story? Angry. And he said, this man deserves to die. And Nathan goes, and you are that man. That's a prophet with some guts right there, right? How did David respond? Like a man after God's own heart. In terrible sin, but when he hears the voice of God, he does a 180. A complete 180. And in Psalm 51, we have this amazing prayer of David's response. It goes like this. How did David respond to Nathan's charge? He did this. He prayed, and he said, against you, and he's praying to God, of course, against you, you alone have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. What did he do? He owned his sin. And then continued to pray, create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. I got more than what I put in this slide. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. And then he continues 
Then I will teach transgressors your ways and sinners will turn back to you. He says, create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me from your presence, even though I deserve it, or take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. Then I will teach transgressors your ways and sinners will turn back to you. How would David, at this point, having fallen so greatly, be one to turn sinners back to God? He would simply show them the mercy shown to him. He would show them the mercy shown to him. God's forgiveness is shown not because it's earned or deserved, but that in forgiving us our immeasurable debt, he might create his spirit of forgiveness in us. Could the worship band come back and join me? And we're going to finish tonight worshiping and spending a moment just to reflect on God's goodness to us and what he's done. And just maybe he would be gracious enough to us, and this maybe doesn't sound good, but it is good. He would shine his light in our hearts. And we would see who we are apart from him, which would actually be his goodness because it would give us a chance to be made right with him. And we can see what he's done for us and the forgiveness he's shown to us and then go out on this campus and share that forgiveness. One point before I close. You guys, you realize in this story, Jesus challenged his disciples with this. And it was pre-cross. We're here tonight after the cross. Jesus gave Peter a ridiculous challenge. He said, you think seven's hard? You think seven's good? Try seven times 70. Try, try 490 times. And he's actually saying more than 490. He's just throwing a big number out there to show Peter that it's infinite. But we are receiving the same challenge that Peter got. But with the challenge is this crazy, amazing enablement to fulfill the challenge. Because Jesus is the one that came and stopped the blame game and took our shame. He stopped blaming and pointing fingers and he took what was responsible, what was like on our bill, and he took it. He took our shame and stopped all the blame that we might be forgiven and go out and forgive others. Lord, I thank you for this message. There's so much more to it than I've gotten into. I've hardly done it justice. Would you take your word and would you multiply it, Lord? Would you get this into our hearts and into our minds that it might transform us? Even as we worship for a moment and reflect, Holy Spirit, I invite you to, to speak to us, Lord. To strongly and yet gently convict us. And at the same time, do as you do. You, you have a way of convicting us and also putting your arm around us. <laughs> Lord, would you do that? Would you, would you be the lion and the lamb all at once? Would you be the one that is the hardest on us because you know what we're made for? You're, the, you're hard on us, God, but you, you believe in us. And you know what's possible when we lay down our rights and follow you, Jesus. Would you help us to do that tonight? Help us to see you, Jesus, for all, for all that you are and recognize all that you've done for us. Amen.